Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it is the Rogue Opinions Podcast once again, and we have another lovely interview for you in the week leading up to Pro Wrestling Magic Presents, the Roaring Twenties 2, Behind the 8-Ball. I had to get the whole team in. I had to scrape the table. I had to go all in on this one, guys. The A-Team is here. Jim, Scott McLeod, and Nathan Greenaway. Guys, how are you? Good, thank yeah, you. Awesome. And the unofficial fourth member, our guest interview for this uh, episode is the lovely ring announcer from Pro Wrestling Magic, my friend and yours, my comedy partner, Mr. Shane Fair. How are you, wow. baby? Thank, thank you, Jim, for that. Well, you know, Very happy you to be here. Thank you, gentlemen, for letting me sit in. I appreciate it. No thank you for making time, Shane. Thank you for making time. Um, This one, uh, if anyone's heard the uh, Meadowlands Monster interview that Scott and I did earlier this week. Uh, this one's going to be a little less of a interview, so to speak, and more of just a conversation between four friends because there are no strangers on this podcast, just best friends who haven't met yet. <laughs> that is that is the tagline from a bar I used to go to, and it works. Wow. Um, so yeah, let's get this party started, guys. Uh, like I said, this Sunday, February 28th at 5 p.m. over on Fight, you can order the Roaring Twenties 2. Behind the eight ball, it is again all in black and white. I was actually just watching a preview uh, cut of it, and it looks beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful. Um, so make sure you guys go and check that out. Get your pre-orders in right now. Make sure to join us there live. Nathan, Scott, you guys got any questions for Shane, or do we just shoot the shit on some random shit? I I was gonna ask. Now that you brought it up. You said the fourth member of the eighteen. There were technically four people in the eighteen. So let's decide right now. Let's get out of the way. Who's who's who in the team right now? Oh man, I want. I can't pull a face. This guy over here looks like the handsome one. So I think we got to give it to him. Nathan is the face. I, I would think. Gets, Nathan, yeah, is Nathan gets the face. <laughs> I think Scott is Mr. T. Hands down. Scott, Scott's gonna be Mr. T. <laughs> oh God, that's pretty. Oh, Ironically, I was for a long time. <laughs> you got all those gold chains still around that that you were that you collected nice. over the years. No, I pawned all my chains, but I, I still mean I still mean teams. Part of my fear of flying, I now make my money through Snickers adverts. <laughs> well, it is. Did you, it's tough out there for a pimp. Do you guys yeah. ever watch uh, Mr. T and his and his gymnastics team, the cartoon? No, no. <laughs> Oh, God. It was an anime, it was a cartoon, it was Mr. T, and he just had a gymnastics team, and they would go around and just solve mysteries. Oh, <laughs> Why these mysteries? And, like, crimes. like And they were quite brutal crimes. Like, sometimes they would be fighting terrorists on, like, a Saturday morning cartoon. Why yeah, this was not tongue cheek like the Tyson mysteries, right? This was just, you know, as is, right? Presented as is, pretty much, right? Oh, yeah, it wasn't, like, gritty. It wasn't, like, oh, Zack, no. Snyder. Zack Snyder did, like, <laughs> or anything like that, but... Yeah, the Snyder weird. cut of Mr. T and his gymnastics squad. But no satire. <laughs> this was face value, right? <laughs> so, Scott, how good are you at gymnastics? Uh, not very good. <laughs> He'd make a great coach. He'd make a great coach. And I just, I just said the side, like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're doing great. Yeah, I'm doing great. You're doing great. Grab another drink. Yeah, yeah. yeah keep doing what <laughs> you can do it, Kerry. <laughs> Gotta go with the old uh, Kerry Shrug uh, advice. Right? <laughs> oh, it's Someone, someone gets injured. Ah, oh, just walk it off. You can see the ball. I pity the fool who can't land a double tuck. <laughs> Give him my Snickers. He'll be fine. <laughs> oh God, we Except do have fun. International, uh, you know, I ain't getting on no plane, fool. So I guess it's just gonna have to be local competitions. Yeah. We had awful Michael Caine impressions on the last episode, and now we have amazing Mr. T impressions this entire oh, wow. episode. I think we're off to a great start, guys. <laughs> I think Shane, uh, the big the big question that everyone's been wondering about. I'm sorry if you've answered this before, but what's the story behind the uh, the super shiny gloves? Um, all right, I was doing like um, it was an anniversary show, and I had the tuck, so it's like uh, I was just obsessed with accessories. I was like, well, how much more can I accessorize this, you know, I, w without wearing a cummerbund or anything? So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna wear the white gloves just to uh, you know, make this a nice presentation, and then like um. Throughout the night, I was like, you know, th this this is interesting. I was like, uh, you know, I'm pr it's giving that respect to the presentation where it's like, um, you know, uh, 
Like I, I, the example I always give is when you see someone handling an artifact or something in antiquity, they always have the white gloves on because they're respecting that item. So, I, you know, it became a thing of like, oh, you know, I'm respecting, you know, the, this talent that's at the end of my fingertips. So, like, you know, I want you to feel that whatever's at the end of my, you know, hand is the most important thing that's going on. So it's like it became like a respect kind of thing. Um, next day after I wore it for the first time, um, a friend of mine, uh, I know he's kind of persona non grata at, uh, <laughs> in certain... <laughs> is it Mr. West? Uh, no, it's uh, E.C. Negro kind of told me the next oh. night. He was like, this is your thing now. He's like, you got to do that. He's like, that's your, you know, that's your shtick. That's your gimmick. And I was like, you know, for better or for worse, he kind of like uh, bestilled it upon me. And I was like, all right, you know, that's it. I'm going to take the ball and run with it. Screw it, man. So. Yeah, lately uh, I've been seeing uh, like... Not that I mentioned it to Anthony uh, during, um, I think, the last set of tapings. I said to him off mic, I said, you know, Shane is always like usually very vibrant and very sort of alive when he's out there. But you were on like a whole nother level for this set of tapings, man. Like your introduction for Saeev and your little promo that you have um, with uh, when Saeev hits the ring. No spoilers, but when Saeev hits the ring in the next show, the way that you uh, carried yourself with the, the promo and everything just amazing stuff to see when you're like really in your element. Um, what, what was that really about? Like, uh, like, did you feel a different sort of air when you walked into the, the, the kingdom last time? Uh, I did because I had like that one upsmanship of knowing that I had, you know, caught up my sleeve that, you know, the shit that went on were Medellin's monster. And like the, you know, that emasculating attack that I had to go through in uh, November, you know, here it was months later and I had the ace in my sleeve, you know, now it was like, you know, Go ahead, try it. And, you know, I, I don't want to give away too much, but he can't help himself. You know, the downfall of Meadowlands Monster is always going to be his own temper. So he, he fell right into that. And luckily this time, instead of landing on my ass in the middle of the ring, I had somebody with me who uh, could maybe take on a Meadowlands Monster in where I certainly can't. And I, I don't have the physicality to, uh, you know, do anything to a metal a seven-foot swamp guzzling... Uh, Jersey boy, like, you know, there's nothing I can do. So, uh, you know, I just had an insurance policy this time and, and, you know, it can't, it, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see this weekend. But, uh, certainly I, I was in a different air because I had that confidence in knowing that I had that, uh, that backup plan in place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it definitely helps when you have, uh, when you have somebody at your back, who's going to be able to sort of take the brunt of the, the punishment, uh, if it comes to that, uh, absolutely. Um, but your style overall, uh, a lot of people have called out that your style is so precise. So, um, I don't want to say elegant, but it's, it's very, it, it's very stylized. You know, where did your, uh, sort of style come from as a ring announcer? Um, you know, I've always, always loved, uh, for, you know, formal fashion, like, you know, just from, I was, it's always something I've been, uh, amazed by like the videos of like the early like 30s 40s like the duke ellington like uh you know stuff like that you know seeing that formal wear always kind of struck a chord with me so um i've you know like a lot of times i say like as an announcer like you, you see what people do and you you know you might want to emulate that but more of the uh more of the influence i would say is coming from what you don't like so uh, I see people like underdress and I see people not take it seriously. So like, I want to go the other route with it. I want to, you know, be as formal as I can, you know, even to the point where it's, uh, you know, maybe a little ironic that I'm standing in there in a tuxedo and a bloodstained ring, but I'm still, I want to present the product that's given me the chance to hold the mic in their ring. I want to give them, you know, a hundred percent always. So. How did you uh, end up getting into ring announcing? What kind of led you there? I got to this point where it was like I was bubbling up. I couldn't sit behind a barricade anymore. It was like I, I had to participate. So physically, boom, that's right out of the box, you know, so we can eliminate that right away. You know, like I'm not you're not going to get like a 540 splash out of me. You know, you might get a, a midsummer belly flop in the pool. But uh, that's that's about all the best I can offer. So physically, I knew that wasn't going to happen. Um Creatively, as far as uh, booking and stuff that, you know, unless you're holding the wallet, you don't really get to hold the book often in most promotions, you know, so you don't, you don't get that option, you know, there and uh, a lot of these positions aren't waiting for someone to come and fill them, you know, they're well guarded positions. So um, I, I 
I've always loved voice acting and such like that. So that seemed like my niche. I was like, I want to, I think, you know, it kind of like fell into itself like naturally. And it was um, like a fan experience type thing where you paid a little extra the one night at this promotion and you got to uh, pick a match and do, you know, whichever match you wanted. So I naturally picked Sonny Kiss. Uh, he was on the card. So I was like, screw it. Let's baptism by fire. Let's go right in, you know, best of the best. So um, it was Ken Dixon and uh, Sonny Kiss and, couple people that were from other promotions heard me that night and they were like you know if you want to do this full time there, there's definitely you know a chance here that you know you could succeed at this so uh you know right away i was like of course you know I'll take it whatever i can and uh it just went to one promotion to another and uh bronx wrestling federation and um uh, pro wrestling academy up in connecticut so like I, I got a couple um the door opened a little bit you know like right away so i got myself in and, uh, you know, I just any opportunity I get, I, I try to take, you know, I, I don't turn any anything down unless it's like, you know, a really moral uh, conflict, you know, of morality. But otherwise, you know, I'm, I, I'll travel anywhere. I, I love doing this. That's great. Talk about, I think, can you talk a little bit about what goes into your preparation before you go out there to announce? Because you don't, well, I've seen you're not one of those ring announcers that has like the kind of the, the little cards so they can remember. Well, they say you always seem to go out there be like fully prepared. So what really goes into, how much really preparation goes into that, like to be able to memorize uh, sure. all this stuff? Well, I do, I do rely on my cards like a safety net to some degree. But as far as the mm -hmm. preparation goes, um, weeks before, you know, I, I want that run sheet. I want to see, you know, even if the promoter doesn't know what order the matches are going to be. And I at least want to have like some idea for the card. If there's anybody I'm unfamiliar with, I'll go right to YouTube and try to, uh, you know, find out what the, what their information is, first of all, and kind of get, like, a feel for what they do. You know, look for a clip that's within the last few months, you know, not not where their detail is going to be completely different from, say, two years ago. Uh, I have a database on, across, like, the iCloud where I have everyone's name, hometown, weight, and then special instructions as far as, like, maybe a moniker or a tagline. So when I get that card, I'll go right to that database, start pulling out the names I need, write out the information I need. If it's a show that, you know, is, is of a lot of significance, like a pro wrestling magic, I'll start to rehearse the card, maybe go through the card, you know, uh, as if I was doing it show night, you know, just go one by one through the matches. Uh, I have like a little, uh, you know, like a little index thing full of like, oh, I disappeared. But uh, <laughs> that's magic. But um, I have all like the, uh, say, um like commentary teams and the uh, like specific sponsorships that promotions are akin to. So I'll just pull out those cards for those specific promotions, you know, put them with the, uh, what I already have for the talent. And then, you know, there it is. It's all set. But I, I that, that database is the main thing, you know, keeping all those names on record and such like that. It's just like an access it out of my phone, my iPod, you know, so, I mean, my iPad rather. And uh, so no matter where I am, I have it with me. So that, that's a key thing. That helps the preparation immensely. Yeah. But it's something the talent and like the way that you pronounce their name to kind of give them that big intro. Is that often down to you or is it down does the talent approach you at times and be like, hey, could you announce me kind of this way? Or put kind um, of a more of a cadence on this part of my name or anything like question. that? That's a great question. Like sometimes uh okay, any example of say uh, South Philly's finest, like uh, you know, they want SPF South Philly's finest, like they want the uh, you know, the uh yeah. The, the lettering and then the uh, the full name, you know, the moniker it goes like that. So like certain people want uh, not so much in cadence, but they might want, you know, a certain order, you know, uh, their tagline and such like that. Uh, what's nice about the job is there's so much free form, uh, like freestyling that you get to do where it's like, you know, the, the name becomes like a song. You want to hit the note a certain way, like in a case of like a, uh, Darius Carter. I always like to put a little uh, Mr. Darius, like kind of like, you know, but you know he's shitty. Like just like saying his name, you know? Like so you kind of know what to expect, you know. Yeah, that uh that really did come up uh a lot, like especially when uh Darius Carter gets introduced. Uh the way you hit the wrestling's richest prize, the all father. It's right. you can you can sort of feel it in there. And that <clears throat> excuse me, that that little um that little bit actually does help inform me and my team at the commentation station where we uh, we hear that and we already know, like, uh, say, for example, um, no offense to these guys, I just don't see them very often, but the Brick City Boys, when they came out, I'll cheat a little bit and I'll wait to hear you pronounce their names 
and then I'll use their names on commentary later. And uh, the way that you use their names, I tend to oh, cool. sort of steer into the way that you pronounce things as how I'm supposed to oh, treat wow. them sometimes. Very cool. And Very cool. yeah, that's that's like the thing I end up uh, noticing. Like when you uh, announce Saif uh, for the March oh, show, okay. that's I blew out my voice. <laughs> <laughs> I blew sucks. out my voice during that match. I blew up my voice during the match. I couldn't speak after after we got home. Um, but yeah, like that helped inform my performance uh, at the table because you did a commentary with me on uh, Card Subject to Change. So uh, going off the back of Scott's question about your preparation, what was the preparation like for not only doing uh, announcing, but having to pull double duty and be on the table uh, with me and having to put up with my bullshit at the same time as... Uh, <laughs> as uh, concentrating on doing your original job. Well, that's like the, the carrot in front of the donkey. It's like, I can't wait to get out of the ring and run over to the table and, you know, get the commentary. That's an honor, man. Like, you know, like you are amazing at what you do. So like to, just to, you know, be able to be next to you, it's like a learning experience. So, you know, that that's always something that, you know, that, that's never a chore. That's that's like one of the, uh, the fringe benefits of, of the business for sure. Like to be able to do commentary with somebody like you, you know, with, with the uh, announcement, like with Saeed, that was one of the first times like I announced at some, like I, instead of announcing to the crowd, I announced at his opponent, you know, I announced mm -hmm. him at Lou Bruno. Like I weaponized his uh, introduction and kind of shot it at uh, Lou Bruno. The only other time I've ever done that is uh, when uh, KTB ref like grabbed the mic out of my hand and did his own introduction against Pinky Sanchez. I was like, fine, now I'm going to introduce Pinky at you. Like, you know, like, <laughs> so I try to remove my stuff. That's a little shitty for an announcer to do. But in a ca case of like Saeed and, um, you know, Lou, it was like I announced it at him. You know, I had yeah, to. Yeah. But, uh, but, but, but like, like your question, oh, man, it, it, that's the greatest thing is to be able to go, come do commentary with you. I'm just following your lead at that point. I do the much preparation as I can for announcing. You know, I'll do the preparation when I can, you know, to do commentary. But when you're with someone like you, it's just like, you know, you strap on and follow your lead, you know, so stop. You're, you're too, you're too kind. Yeah. You're too kind. That's serious. Um, but yeah, that was a, a very interesting experience for, uh, for sure. Getting to be able to do that with you after working on Monday morning magic together so often oh, right. um, and doing all of that stuff, being able to stand behind the table uh, with you and just sort of, uh, you know, go through storyline stuff. Cause I've been involved in storyline stuff since I pretty much got started at magic. Uh, but what was, and I promise I'll defer back to you guys in a second, but there's a couple of questions oh, yeah. here that I, I really feel are, are sort of necessary. What was it like for you to start being involved uh, with storyline stuff? Like, how does that affect sort of your performance and your preparation for shows, knowing that you're going to be involved, say, when Monster attacked you or right. when you're performing uh, in the same sort of area as Monster and you have to carry that sort of uh, story stuff with you as well? It, it you know you don't want to drop the ball because it's like it's an honor you know it's it's for an announcer to do anything but say the names of the talent in the ring you know anything else is uh you know superfluous it's like you know it's to be given anything else is like an honor so if i'm going to be given a part in a storyline or anything like that i'm going to take that as so serious you know as possible that's that's the ultimate honor you know uh i used to really worry about other announcers because oh you're you know you're uh overstepping your bounds or like you know the announcer shouldn't be put you know like i i those old philosophies i got thrown at me uh you know and then a little bit of animosity you know for things like that but i'm sorry if i'm going to be given any kind of trust in a promotion that i love and that i want to contribute to i'm going to do it like you know what i mean so uh, i don't really care who has a problem with it ultimately you know if they do you know because i've gotten a little flack from other announcers oh maybe you know I, I comments like, uh, you know, you, sh you shouldn't, uh, the announcer shouldn't have a gimmick. And I, and I, I, my retort was my gimmick is my craftsmanship. My gloves are just a passenger. So that's, that, that's what I said, you know, back to that. But, um, you know, I, I, there, there are different schools of thought, so I can appreciate the fact that people think that an announcer should stay in his lane and just say the names of talent, but also like, you know, to be given that trust, I, I'm not going to say no, like, you know, I'm going to honor it as best I can. And, uh, it's it's an it is it's just simply an honor. It's an honor to be asked to do anything else, you know, in a company that I, I love that I always wanted to be a part of. So, uh, you know, it, it's great. It's great to be a part of part of the storyline. And then I'm, and I'm always going to hold up my end of it because, you know, like you and I are there every month. What talent may, you know, come in and cycle in and out. You and I are, uh, you know, part of the foundation of what magic is. So to be part of the storyline really gives it a continuity because we're going to be there every month.
you know, we're, we're going to be able to carry that on. So, you know, I think it's practical. Yeah, I think so, especially with the uh, the way that the the kingdom sort of operates. Uh, right. It is uh, like that where the, I, I, I hear you when you say that maybe announcers shouldn't have gimmicks and stuff, but the whole industry is a gimmick, has a gimmick. You know, right. Corey Graves isn't Corey Graves at home. He's Corey Graves on TV. So, exactly. you know, that guy yeah. has a gimmick. Hmm. You know, the tattoos point. might leave the building with him, but he's only that guy <laughs> in front of the camera. Right. You know, so it, it, you're you're not white gloves Shane Fair everywhere you go. You know, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> it would have been amazing if you actually had them on the. <laughs> I couldn't keep that cement hair like uh, all week. I think it would just rip out eventually. Gorilla Glue is a bad, bad, I always bad used to idea. Like one, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't get that GoFundMe going, but <laughs> did that story make it right. across the pond? I'm yeah, to say it, it did. That was mental. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Tessica, Tessica. How is that a name? Tessica. Oh. It's someone was... mispronouncing a name. No, oh. her name is Tessica Brown. Jesus. It's not a name. That's no, not a name. <laughs> it sounds like somebody mispronounced the Tesco, like. Yeah. Yeah, you you made the point that, or I think Shane actually made the point that the talent kind of cycle in and out of kind of these promotions. So it's good to have familiar faces there for fans like yourself, or like both of you, because that makes it kind of easier. So you're you're not just a indie promotion that has a card and then goes away and there's nothing there. You guys are always telling stories. So you need those characters that are always going to be there, whereas some talent aren't going to be. Right. Uh, but was it like perhaps getting away from pro wrestling magic for a second? You you spoke about like how it's an honor to be part of the business. You clearly love wrestling. Where did that fandom come from? Like originally? Uh, early on, like my father, uh, you know, we, we, we got into, you know, it was a family thing. Like, we, you know, I guess as a father, when you see your son responding to something that, you know, that's not a cartoon. It's something that you can kind of like a shared interest where you can both kind of like invest yourselves in. So right away, as soon as I showed that interest, you know, it was Madison Square Garden. It was, uh, you know, Brendan Bernarino of in Jersey. Uh, SummerSlam, I believe it was 89. So we sat front row for, uh, you know, Zeus. Uh, was it 89? I believe it was, correct? I think it, think it was either 89 or 90, yeah. Okay. It was like, a, you know, Zeus and Macho Man and uh, Hogan and Beefcake and, you know, just... All those moments of, of going and seeing it live. And then uh, I remember at the time, it was like a different era. Because this is like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an older shit. So it's like, you know, the, the <laughs> mid-80s to like early 90s. It was taboo. Like, you couldn't go to school the next day and tell your friends that you went to go see wrestling at Madison Square Garden. You would have been, like, laughed out of school. It was such a, you know, like a weird time. You know, like, you couldn't uh, admit, like, that you were a wrestling fan to your friends. Like, you know, of course we had, you know... It, that might sound like hyperbole because, of course, there was millions of wrestling figures being sold throughout the land. And obviously Hulkamania and these things existed. But it was just, uh, I don't know, it was looked down upon it in certain circles that, you know, to be a fan. So even though my father and I love this, it was like some, you know, shameful type thing that you kind of had to keep closeted, which was strange. You know, like now it's like you have, you know the uh the internet and obviously the strength of facebook and everything so you can connect with other fans but it was kind of like uh like a lone you felt like a lone wolf at times as a fan so uh you know you really had to love it to stay with it and being able to see it live you know oh man it was just incredible to to be in those two buildings especially madison square garden and like the hollowed you know it's like the one of the meccas of, of wrestling in the world so to be able to see that at a young age you know i fell in love with it so much and then the thing was, yeah, I'd watch Saturday morning wrestling. So I would only see like those jobbers and that type of uh, match. So then when I went to go see it live and you would see, you know, the two stars against each other it was such a, you know, such a thrilling thing because they really kept the, the stars apart from each other at that. You know, it was a it wasn't every Monday you were getting peppered with them, you know, like the best in the world match, you know, best, best quality matches. So you'd have to suffer through those Saturdays. But then when you see it live, you'd see those marquee matchups and it was you know, you the spectacle of seeing it live matched with that caliber of ma- you know talent. It was like, how could you not fall in love with it live? You know, it, yeah. it was just mm-hmm. yeah. You talked about talk, continuing on a bit uh, fandom. You talked about being behind the guardrail and then before becoming ring announcer. So before you get involved with it, being from the ring announcer standpoint, how tell us about your first 
time you became aware of Pro Wrestling Magic more as a fan and some of your initial oh, okay. experiences with that promotion? Awesome question, man. Like I, uh, I was friends with uh, Aaron Bradley, Alex Ryman, and uh, I know his father and him had raved about this promotion in Jersey. Like, you know, you got to come out, you got to see this. So it was always uh, just the graphics and everything. It was it was captivating. It seemed like something different was going on there. So I went for the first time by myself. I bought one ticket, and uh, at the time I was going to uh, like a lot of events with friends, and I wanted that one promotion that I could just go by myself. At the time, I'd been to a couple by myself. And I just wanted to, like, you know, find that one where I could just, like, immerse myself completely and, like, suspend disbelief and really. And I went to Magic and from the lighting to, like, the ambiance to the card to, like, every single thing that was in place made the experience, like, so immersive that uh, I lost myself. And I was like, this this place is incredible. And it, and it almost became, uh, instead of going home to raving raving to your friends about it i wanted to keep it like uh like my like secret garden where i could just like go <laughs> once a month not tell anybody get the one ticket and just you know not talk to anybody and just you know just really it was such a cool feeling to be to be able to go it's i mean it sounds very anti-social and like you know but just to go by yourself and be immersed was I, that was the perfect place to do it and uh every facet about it you know, like I said, from the talent to the lighting to, you know, the building to the location, it, it's, it's just one of a kind. It was the only place that was like that, you know, so I, I fell in love with pro wrestling magic immediately. It was love at first sight. It you can it's OK. You can tell the people, Shane, that it was it's about the burrito place around the corner. That's that's really <laughs> what the secret. They changed, ugh, they changed donuts. Screw them. Oh, did they? Yeah, they, me, they, dude, come on. Great. They like ran on a Sunday one time and the place opened just for us. Like, and you know, we all met there and everything. It was a Korean, <laughs> like a Korean burrito place. And it was like, I, I understand <laughs> that this is a common thing. Like the, the, a lot of the Korean uh, food places mix uh, their food with kind of like the bulgogi and everything with burritos. So it was like kimchi and like everything in a burrito. This place is unbelievable. I don't want to get too far off, but yeah, that was that was one of the factors for sure. Though. I love the burrito. Person. Dude, anytime you bring this burrito up, he it, he immediately starts watering from the mouth. Yeah, I can't. Right. I think I got jowl sweat. <laughs> Start getting the meat sweats in preparation for this burrito. Just popping up. That's right. Just disappear back into the background and just wipe up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Homer Simpson meme. Like, all right, I'm. <laughs> oh man uh you go ahead guys if you have any, uh, questions that are formed yeah uh one thing the most important question i think some people listening to this but i know and i know me and nathan probably want to know is that on a scale of one to ten from one being uh, all to ten being the absolute worst how much of a pain in the ass is Jimmy to deal with on a daily basis? Oh, <laughs> Son of a bitch! Yeah. That was pretty much going to be my question. Yeah. So. It's all out of love and like you know his passion for everything. So I love Jim, man. I love my Jimmys. <laughs> See, I knew it's it. Uh, Scott did this during the Meadowlands Monster interview too. He oh, took Monster's oh. side, and then him and Monster ganged up on me for a minute, and I had to sort it's of defend myself. But. I knew I'm that you were going to have my I usually just want to time. It's all right, Scott. It's all right. When we go under the sea, I ain't, I'm going to have your back. Okay? You can go look <laughs> oh, for Will and Nicole yourself. I'll bring this up again. We had a, we had a, uh, we're doing a uh, series of tournaments leading up to uh, what we consider the best uh, superhero movie of all time. So we were doing the DC films, Ooh. and we voted in Aquaman. Um, like a bracket system type over thing? Over Joker. Oh, you voted Aquaman over Joker. That is the most, oh. that was the worst thing. It has Willem Dafoe oh. under, the, under sea. the sea. Under the sea. They put Dolph Lundgren <laughs> under the sea. It. It under the sea. It doesn't mean anything. They put these people under the sea. I think I stopped seeing a girl because she liked Aquaman. A couple months. <laughs> 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 Does that have to do with the whole Amber Turd situation or just because the like movie this. was bad? Yeah, we didn't mention her once. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, Amber Heard. That's right. Yeah, bad, man. Oh, uh, man. Shane, I went through your Twitter before we started. Oh, okay. And uh, I was going to ask you a question, and I've not watched Cobra Kai, but you suggested that Hilary Swank being in it would ruin it. That's <laughs> <laughs> when a question why what what's the swank done to you 
Oh man, she derailed oh. that series, man. We went from uh, you know silver in the dojo and climbing mountainsides for bonsai trees to to this this Hillary Swank hijacking the whole series, ruining it in part four. Ah, oh, please, I hope she doesn't come back. No Jaden Smith. I want no no uh, Hillary Swank. Let's just keep the purity of the bloodline that we got going on right here with this beautiful series. You know, I love it just the way it is. Don't bring in Hillary Swank. At least she's like a Karate Kid OG. I don't she think she is. was in the first one, but she was in the second one, wasn't she? Yeah, she had like those uh, surfboard-sized teeth in that in that in that one for sure, man. She was so annoying. <laughs> <Her> annoying. <laughs> one of the most annoying performances aside from Aquaman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You notice, Scott, how he's not—he's not mentioned Joker being good. So I still don't think we made a, a wrong decision. Uh, I, I, it was a little too derivative of the uh, the early Scorsese films. I'll say that at least. You know, I don't know. There you go. <laughs> There is a point that we, we, we bring up to, to use against Jimmy Mailey because I guess the difference between the UK and the US. So, Shane, what is this thing about keeping bread in fridges? Oh, That's not a thing we do. Bread? I keep bread. my bread in the refrigerator. Really? I don't. I do the bread box. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not with you on this one. I don't know. <laughs> you don't like even, even Shane doesn't. It's not on your side. <laughs> no, I don't like. I don't like the sweaty bread bag. That's why. Like, I, I, I don't. I don't know. Bread in the fridge. That are we really? Uh, yeah, we do that. Yeah, it keeps it fresher longer. Wow, I don't know. It's not how bread works. <laughs> no, I'm UK on this one. I, I, I like my bread UK style. Out like in the elements. Thank you. Getting hard. No, thank you. I don't like all the crust. Okay, I like smooth and just fluffy texture when I bite into a sandwich. Thank you very you like, much. You like to be able to drink it. Oh. Well, that's why I drink. That's why I drink a cheap domestic beer. It's, I like to drink my my, my carbs. <laughs> oh, so you, we say we leave it out in the open. We we leave it in cupboards. We don't leave it out in the open, right, out in the right. wild. Yeah. We don't <laughs> put it in the right. <laughs> What's oh, the left the bread on the lawn again? Of, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know a lot of other countries need so cakes like, out on the shelf in the store. Is that is that going on over there? They put cakes, yeah. like eggs. Are they room temperature? Oh. In? Yeah, they're usually just in boxes in like the fridge section of a supermarket. But right. yeah. I don't know how things work out there on the island, Shane. But most most of the time, we we refrigerate eggs and milk. Mexico, and I don't know. I, I go to Mexico and they just have them out. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, don't know. Milk, if milk you have to refrigerate. Home. Eggs, like you can leave an egg out, right? I mean, it's well. When you go down to Mexico, the thing is, is that the chickens are just walking and dropping eggs in the street as it is. <laughs> so you don't really have you don't really have the time to get them into the refrigerator. People are hungry, man. Got to make your huevos francheros and whatnot. <laughs> the chilaquiles. <laughs> um, <laughs> so well, people look for eggs just following chickens. The big mat to catch them and just like come on, I eat six eggs. I need an omelet. Oh, they broke that one. Oh, I'm sorry if I watched too far. It's it's like we go back to the the Karate Kid stuff. That's how people get their breakfast. They have to chase down a chicken. You need to grab them, squeeze until an egg comes out, and then you're able to make breakfast. Oh my god! My parents did used to have chickens, so I don't find that that like disturbing. <laughs> Oh, out on the uh, <laughs> out on that's the, where uh, eggs come from, guys. <laughs> out on the 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 mansion grounds over in Essex, you didn't just have the uh, walking around with your blazer on. <laughs> you didn't just have the uh, the the housemaids go out and pick eggs for you. You guys actually went out and got a got a jog on. Well, if it was a Sunday, I'd have to do it myself. I'm not paying them oh. double time. Now, did you have did you have a like a like a chicken catching blazer that you had to wear, or was it sort of just shirts and shirts? Yeah, it has like the, the family crest on it, right? Yeah, that's it. 
<laughs> well, he's not going to wear his best one, is he? To catch the chickens. <laughs> his formal evening one. <laughs> Ooh, has anyone seen my, my sporting blazer? <laughs> Go ahead, release the chickens. Give them a head start. Feeling, feeling quite. <laughs> the game is a full. Game. <laughs> um. Okay. So. Okay. Back. Back on wrestling. Earlier today, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, this is going to be uh, the most A team podcast that I think we've ever done. Uh, earlier today, it was announced that All Elite Wrestling have signed the former Big Show, Paul White to not only a commentary position for the new dark uh, elevation that they're calling it, that's going to air on Mondays on YouTube, but also in his contract, he's going to be back in the ring. What did they, what did they call this show? Uh, AEW dark elevation. Right. I don't know what that means yet. They're going to talk more about it tonight on dynamite. It's a stupid name. Dark Dark elevation. Like, you know they're, they're developing these like video games. Dark Elevation sounds like one of these games they give you where like, you have that story mode of working your way up the indies to AEW Dark to get to AEW at the end of the story mode. That's what AEW <laughs> does. That sounds like a video game title rather than an actual show. Yeah, instead of continuing to AEW Dark and Dynamite, they haven't said where do they rank. Is one an NXT for their NXT? One's a Dark for a Dark. I don't know what they're doing. One's NXT UK, the other's NXT. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go around the horn real quick. If there is anybody, anybody, Shane, I'm going to start with you, that you would like to see the big show, Mr. Paul White, back in the ring with an AEW, who is it and why? I guess we just, I mean, once you do the Luchasaurus match, I guess we're done, right? You know, Luchasaurus, yeah, Wardlow, maybe? Yeah, I guess so. I'm not really that interested in seeing him like an AEW, to be honest. I mean, commentary is one thing. Commentary is one thing, but if... Right. You, but to have him back in the ring, I mean, I feel like the Braun Strowman stuff from last year, year before, was really like a good send off for his in ring right, career. Right, the Swan Song, sure. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know, Scott. What do you think? Is there anybody in AEW that you want to see, uh, the 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 large program in the ring with? <laughs> the uh, the, uh, the the large event or whatever. <laughs> I mean, people, sorry, people are saying, like, I mean, I've seen people online saying, like, well, Cody said he was part of the Go Big show. The, the clues were there, people. <laughs> but the... <laughs> just funny. But I, I'd like, you know, the three matches there, people, they're bringing Shaq in. The match we were supposed to get, Big Show versus Shaq. Oh, of course, oh, that's what we're leading to. In terms of commentary, I want him to keep his record of heels and face turns going. On, well, on commentary, so he comes out as a face, immediately turns heel, chokes slams Tony Chavonis to the table, turns face again by sitting back down, and by the main event, he's a heel again. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Nathan, what do you what do you want to see out of uh, Paul White in AEW? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, we could kind of really refire that Sting program from like '97. Start start Paul White smoking up again. On his way to the yeah, ring. The time smoking, grows hair out, start doing moonsaults. Let's just uh, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> let's just go all out. Um, his, moonsault, his moonsault might be even better now. He's like trimmed down to like a three fifty or something. Tell you what, I saw a GIF um, because I didn't watch the show of Elimination Chamber. Kevin Owens doing that moonsault off the thing. That was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's pretty great. That's pretty Got great. Yeah, that shows how much interest I got in Big Show. <laughs> so I went to a GIF. Um, I don't know. I'd like to see him stand next to Jungle Boy. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to see him wrestle Jungle well, Boy. <laughs> well, I think like, Marco Stunner said that he got into wrestling partly because of Big Show, despite the fact obviously he's obviously one of the smaller competitors. And like he was, his reaction to Big Show getting signed. Like that's what you do. That's what you do. You go through the, the different members of Jungle Boy of Jurassic Express first. Marco versus Big Show, then Jungle Boy be Big Show, and then Bloody Luchasaurus uh, comes in. It's like an evolution. You go through each member, see who can start the Big Show. Yeah. Do you think he keeps the WMD and just starts knocking people out when they get in his face? Sort of like a like he, a right cross. He picks up uh, Marco as like Bam Bam and Spike Dudley, the old DCW. He throws him out 
and the crowd all pass them around Daly's place until he gets back to the ring. <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. <laughs> okay, now I'm like really excited for yeah, Paul White in AEW. <laughs> I want him to throw Marco Stunt or Darby Allen or somebody like into the third row and just have them crowd surf for the entire show until the main event. Having enough just keep people sanitizing them as they as they pass them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're just dumping spray. hand sanitizer. Like they have them held up uh, and somebody the, the, the social distancing. <laughs> it makes it difficult. <laughs> they yeah. throw them two meters every time. Well, <laughs> 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 you get the social distance version where it's just two people carrying them. Just one's got the head, one's got the legs, so they're technically two meters apart. He's <laughs> seven foot, right? <laughs> oh, man. What an interesting turn of events that is, guys. And uh, to see more of that, that's on Wednesday. Uh, tonight, actually, um, they're going to get into all of that. And, of course, Sting. Sting, he wants revenge, guys. He's going to have his bat. He's going to be out there in a jacket. And then three <laughs> top athletes and Hook are going to run away. I don't get it. What does he guys, want revenge for? Uh, he got powerbombed last week by uh, Brian Jesus. Hitt. Is he dead? <laughs> well, Apparently, he wore padding so he could take the bump. Oh, oh that's a bit gross. Yeah, oh. right? I, I don't like that. Um, and he's got a street fight on March 7th. Ugh. Oh, what you should do. You know how Bret Hart once uh, wore that like chest of armor when he got speared by... Oh, Bob? right, the spear. Right. I think Sting should wear like an airbag. Oh. So if someone powerbombs him again, the airbag goes off. He just lands on that. <laughs> on Star just friggin' reaches out to him. <laughs> Is everything okay? Have you been in a crash? Lawyers immediately swarm the place. Mr. Borden, we're hearing that you've uh, been involved in a small accident. Are you okay? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm all right. Why are there so many um and it's an open question. It's going to sound really mean at first, but why are there so many old people on AEW suddenly? Because it works. It, it works with out, the Snake for a little bit. Right. It started out as like the new promotion. There was all these great people uh, on there, like Ray Phoenix, Pentagon, Kenny Omega, Young Bucks. And now like Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Big Show, Sting, Taz right, right. are all on the same show suddenly. <laughs> It's like they want to force that provenance, you know, like they want that, uh, you know, that fabricated provenance. Like uh, if you if you ever go to the um, like City Field, like where the Mets play, it's all like Brooklyn Dodgers and New York Giants and Willie Mays and Duke Snyder. It's like, but this is the Mets. Why are we, you know, like they're trying to assimilate somebody else's uh, and co-op somebody else's provenance and history. So it's like I, I think a little bit of that, you know, you bring in those old guys, you, you know. You're only a year or two old. You don't have those legends, but you can uh, kind of assimilate as almost you do have those legends. So I don't know. It's almost yeah. coming across. It's almost coming across like that they're doing what WWE does with their legends, but specifically through the network of TNT. Like TNT is their history rather than with the WWE because they've been around oh, okay. for sixty years. Right. right. They have their own history to draw on, but TNT has its own history with professional wrestling. And AEW seems to be the conduit for that now, especially with Sting coming back, the Giant, uh, Paul White being there, Jake the Snake, all these guys. They've all been on Turner, Turner Broadcasting before, but for someone else. So I think that's really where that's where they're trying to do. They're trying to recreate the sort of uh, flip in channels thing from the 90s, you know? Do you think hmm. of it, it's yeah. like, oh, well, there were fans who would say like, uh, when WCW go bankrupt 2001, so 20 years ago, who were like 16 and they they stopped watching. So like, no, I love WCW. Now, 20 years later, it's like a 36 year old. They're looking on TNT and saying, oh, I remember Sting. I'm going to mm-hmm. flick on Dynamite. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that actually makes sense, like, damn it. I was going to say, like, some of the older guys like aren't wrestling like uh, a Jake. I was going to say Arn and Tully, but like, even Tully now, they've somehow, they're somehow going to get him physically involved. I think the first show in March. It's Tully and FTR v Jurassic I'm like, what exactly is Tully going to do? Because I mean, I'm, I mean, this is this is a weird tangent, but me when Nathan and Jimmy forced me to watch Heroes of Wrestling, Tully was on the card, and he had the best match of that show. 
Even then, it was 20 years ago. I don't know what you're to add to the group. For clarification, you lost. <laughs> we had a predictions contest. Scott lost. So him and his co-host from his other podcast, Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast, had to, uh, at SP Rambling on Twitter, ladies and gentlemen, remember that. <laughs> uh, plugs, baby. Um, we had them watch Heroes of Wrestling uh, and review it. Uh, Scott, would you like to explain to Shane exactly your feelings on that particular show that you swore to never speak of again? Uh, <laughs> we lost. <Dang> it. <laughs> oh. Sorry for audio losses. I, I just married blowing my brains out. But oh, I was, and I, I had the worst. I had the worst throat infection when I had to watch and review that as well. So I couldn't even get as drunk as I wanted to at the time. And I, I equally regretted it because it was my idea to use that as the forfeit because I was that confident I was going to win. We'll see what happens when you're when you're overconfident. You end up having to watch Heroes of Wrestling. <laughs> Shane, um, I'm sure Heroes of Wrestling was an incredible atmosphere. So I'm going to ask you a question about atmospheres. Uh, see that segue? Nice. Go. It's almost like I'm you've done this before, Nathan. I'm a professional. But uh, what's been like the most? Uh, I guess that's the wrong wording. But what's been like the best atmosphere that you've announced for? Like when the electricity's in the air or anything like that. Has it been like a big main event? that you've kind of got in the ring about to announce for, and then you've kind of, all your hairs are stood on end or anything like that, that kind of comes to mind? Uh, just like events in, as a whole, like uh, as far as like, you know, like uh, pro wrestling magic, when like that building's packed, is crazy. Like, you know, we, we have like, uh, you know, 40 people in the building during pandemic and it's still pretty loud, but when you have a good like two, 250 in that, in that place, it's just crazy. And I remember uh, that every one of us took pictures. The first uh, time that we had the ramp go into the ring and we had a packed house, it looked surreal. It was just all humanity and just a ramp getting to the ring. Like it was just like, it, it felt so, you know, just deep and, and, humanity the, the ring like it just was just surrounded by people like looking at that from the stage was like the coolest thing you know and, like you're w walking down the ramp through just rows of people it was just you know that building is just so cool there's just something about the ridgefield park uh knights of columbus it's just such a cool building so uh pretty much any time there i did i had uh gopro wrestling did this thing the white glove party for me so it was like, uh, like walking out for that was like the coolest freaking thing like ever, man. It felt like I was so undeserving of that, and it was just you know walking out. They uh, one of the uh, Sam who who works for GoPro had worked at like Party City at the time, and she put like white balloons all around the ring. So like coming out of the curtain and seeing like white balloons and like having like a little party, you know, in your name, and it was like all of these people that were uh, right about to go to AEW, like Private Party, Penelope Ford, and you know, uh, you know, R Richard Holiday from MLW. Just it was just so much star power. It was like I can't believe in like the presence of these people that I'm getting something, you know, with my name on it and just for me, like a little piece of the pie. It was like that was, you know, that was such a cool, cool experience. Yeah. That was just that was a hair stand on end type thing for sure. Something uh, I wanted to, to kind of ask uh, Jane was that obviously uh, Pros and Magic has had some people come through who've went on to or now have been featured weekly on TV or who people who came in after doing big things. That has there been a moment where you're there's the ring announcer on a show about to call bring some a big name out and had that moment as a fan thing like deep down I can't believe I get to like ring announce this person's match. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, like, I, it, it was like, I'd always been a big fan of JT Dunn. So, like, everything he had done at Pro Wrestling Magic. So, um, they were bringing him back for the, uh, he was going to answer the Ace Romero Open Challenge at one point. So, I started to see the format of the show that I was like, wait a minute. Like, I wanted my whole life to, like, announce JT Dunn. He was, like, one of my, you know, like, on my wish list. And I started to realize through the format of the show Oh shit! I'm not going to be able to announce him. It's going to be like the owner is probably going to say his like that's just the way it looked. It was like you know, it's you know through the format. I was like I'm really not going to announce him. So I was standing next to the owner uh, Anthony Iovino, and it was like right about where it came to the point to announce JT Dunn, and he handed me the mic. I was like oh fuck! Like it was like the coolest thing because I was like I it went from like I'm not going to have this cool moment to like Anthony was just like here you go like you know he knew like you know how much it meant to me and everything. So that was like, you know, to announce JT Dunn's comeback when the last time I had seen JT Dunn, you know, I was sitting in the crowd as a fan. So like, that was friggin' surreal to me. Like, you know, um, 
just any of those big names like Glacier and stuff. That was fun to announce him. Like, uh, anytime I get to announce Saif, you know, so, but like that JT Dunn moment was like, that stood out to me because it was like, I didn't look like I was going to have it. You know, it was like, and then I, and then when I got handed the mic, I was like, yes, you know, I am going to get to do this. So, <laughs> so that was, that was a special one because it, it, it wasn't something that I thought was going to happen. So. That match uh, is also on uh, the Pro Wrestling Magic YouTube channel. That is uh, youtube.com forward slash Pro Wrestling Magic uh, if you want to see Ace Romero take on JT Dunn. And to watch Shane Fair get to uh, live live out one of his dreams in his career. Um, uh, Because over there, we got plenty of stuff over there, uh, including the long-running series, uh, over 19 episodes, ladies and gentlemen, of Monday Morning Magic. Um... Talk about um, a little bit, because uh, we had the uh, Matt Travis uh, tribute episode, second mm-hmm. episode in, and you got to film uh, a lot for that. You took over hosting duties for that. So when wrestling sort of has its um, real moments, you know, like when tragedy strikes wrestling, what what sort of bubbled up in you at the time when you knew that you had to appear on camera and right. sort of try to help eulogize this, this friend of yours mm-hmm. uh, and everything? What was that sort of like to have to perform while also grieving at the same time? It was a weird position because it was like, uh, like I, I had only met Matt like a few times. And every time I met him, he was like, you know, uh, like the thing I said, like on, on the tribute, he was like so proactive about like telling you something positive. Like, oh, I really like the way you do this. You know, I really am like, uh, I remember like, you know, just his enthusiasm. And I asked him his details for his first time. He's like, uh, and he was like, you know, I was like, what do you want to do for a tagline? He goes, uh, King Capo. And then he was like, he came back, he goes, you know what? He goes, if you want, he goes, do King Capovelli. He goes, I usually, you know, I was like, of course, you know, however you want it. So, like, you know, it was so cool that, it, like, you know, he's like, you know, he approached it, like, uh, you know, kind of passionately. Like, he wanted me to, like, you know, you know what? Make it this. Like, you know, he was, like, really in touch with, like, the, that announcement. So, I had only met him a few times. So, I was very apprehensive about doing a tribute for someone who I had only met when there was people around that were, like, you know, that were friends with him and like trained with him and knew him for years that were really, really hurting. I wanted to give him like the proper respect, but at the same time, I don't want to look like I'm a clout chaser. You know, I don't want to look like, you know, like there was with uh, passings, you always get these vultures that, you know, if, if, if it, may, it might not even be conscious, but they're trying to like, uh, you know, be parasitic and try to, uh, you know, get off somebody's memory or that attention that somebody's getting in passing. And like, you know, there's a lot of negative people that show themselves during, you know, these times. So I didn't want to look like a culture vulture. I didn't want to look like, you know, like I'm deeply grieving for somebody, but like, you know, it was a huge loss. It, it was a huge loss and you couldn't get around that, you know, whether you knew him and drove with him to dozens of events or you came across him only a couple times like I did, you can not be helped but be moved by him because he was you know, he went out of his way to be positive he went out of his way to tell you something, you know, positive to to just like, you know, fire up your engines and make you feel good about what you did, so, you know, it was a fine line of I didn't want to go too overboard and look like a, I'm like a grieving widow for a guy that I met a handful of times and when, you know, like I said, there was people who were deeply hurt, so I didn't want to detract from them but he had to be on it properly so it had to be done you know with respect and it had to be done a certain way so it was like really it was tough because you didn't you know you wanted to walk that fine line where where it wasn't it didn't turn into something negative or it didn't something it was something that could be perceived as you know uh like self-indulgent at some point or something you wanted to make it about him but uh you know that it was tough because uh to be honest with you I i did a tribute show for him all right, I don't want to name names, but one of the people who had wanted to start this tribute show and, and you know, say his piece at the beginning of the show was like nowhere to be found. And it was time to start the show. The promoter's like, let's go, let's go. We got to get out there. So I think this this guy at this particular tribute show was upset and thought that we started the show without him, you know, with him out him being out in you know, the building because in days following, he, he kind of like uh, let out like a... Uh, those clout chasing accusations and I don't know where they were aimed, but um, it was just a matter of that. He wasn't in the building and he wasn't, you know, there when things started. So like, you know, people were really deep in their feelings, you know, people were very deeply affected by this guy's passing, you know, and, and losing Matt in the, in the horrific way that it happened. And, you know, the people wanting justice and being angry, 
you know, the, the emotions were bubbling. So it, it was it was really tough to, to to present it properly. You know, I mean, that episode is uh, one of my favorites just for how you're able to deliver the information and how you're as respectful as you can be. Uh, and like you said, you didn't try to do the clout chasing sort of no. uh, way about Jimmy, it. Jimmy, it's like right of... up the block, bro. I was fucking crying in the woods over this guy by myself with a video camera alone in the woods up the block from me. So it's like, you know, at any level you want to call it clout chasing, this and that, it, it was sincere. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it was sincere. So Yeah, and that, that always, that was always something that uh, played uh, like the largest for me, especially getting to work with you. Uh, through Monday Morning Magic and watching your stuff in the ring and everything, it's just that you bring such a realness about you. Like, when you get into the ring, when you get that fancy suit on and the ascot is going and and everything, there is something so sincere about that. Uh, and I, that, that, I think, is what makes you one of the best going in the business at the time, at this time, is because not as many people have that uh going forward when they when they get into stuff they always want to be the guy they want to be that guy they don't want to be part of a team to get the team Mm. going forward monster said something um in our interview yesterday scott asked him what he was looking forward to uh moving forward in this year and beyond uh for his career and he said i'm not focused on just me i'm focused on making pro wrestling magic better i'm focused on showing people what we as a team can do. And right. I think that's like the biggest strength of our locker room at the moment is it goes from the owners all the way down to commentary and broadcast all, all of us all the way down at the bottom, all the way up at the top. It's just, we have that family element there and we all want all of us to succeed. Oh, amen. So, amen to that. And that's why when we get like, uh, you know, I, don't, I don't know, like, you know, if I'm allowed to say, but like, if we get an asshole that comes through magic, it, he, it's so evident. It's so, you know, by the contrast of the, the team atmosphere that we have and like, you know, the family atmosphere, if you come in there with a chip on your shoulder, like, you know, everybody's, you know, who's this guy? Like, it's so obvious and it's, you stand out like a sort of thumb in that locker room, you know, cause we, we, the dynamic is just like what you said. It's a family, you know? Mm-hmm. With that being said, where do you see uh, pro wrestling magic kind of going this year now that touch wood obviously beginning to hopefully get out of the woods of the covid kind of times where do you see kind of pro wrestling magic going in the next kind of year or so well they've proved that like you know they that they can um adapt to any situation you know we didn't have a building to go in we still found a ring you know we don't have a crowd you know, the, the full size capacity crowd that we want, but we still operate, you know, like uh, magic's always going to find a way, you know, and uh, no matter what the circumstances are and no matter what the atmosphere is that we have to perform in and, our, and the talent has to perform in, we're always going to find a way and magic's always going to put on the best show, you know, so uh, I think that this year, you know, we're going to have the, the crowd numbers start to come back. And what sucks is we were really at the cusp, you know, we got the fight TV, you know, we got Twitch, like at the time, like right at the cusp when we lost our fans to, to you know, a quarantine. So it was like the, the worst perfect storm of timing, you know, that, that we lost our fans when all this happens, because we really haven't been able to put this product that has really been so well polished in front of a full crowd like we want to, you know, like, uh. We we had that packed house last January, full house, if family matters, and you know we, we're firing on all cylinders. So that's what I want to see. I want to see like that 200, 200 plus people in the building. You know, just that energy where that floor is rocking, and you're downstairs, and you can hear people stomping. And uh, you know, it, Magic's going to be in such a good place when we have that the, the fan element back. That's the missing piece of his recipe right now. Whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry, sorry to break up the, the conversation here, guys. I know that everything has been going really, really well. Shane, I know you got no time left, but if you got a couple of, in a couple of days, you got another maybe half an hour or so to spend with your boys over here. For you, anything, Jimmy. Oh, I love you, buddy. Nathan, you guys are going to be okay to come back in a couple of days because I don't want this conversation to end. I think contractually, I have to. Ah, right, that's fair. Scott, you going to be all right with that? You're good? Uh, yeah, you know, I don't have a, a life to, to go back to. I'm sure Nathan will be here again, trying to work Blade into the conversation. So it should be a good time. I, suppose I'll yeah, be there. I, I, don't, I don't ever need Blade. It's just there at all times. 
He's Could we wear the same one. thing? So they that's my only request. Us. Could we yeah. all wear the same? That's the only the only proviso that I need. Yeah, we're gonna have to wear I, the same I, stuff. Okay. You know what? Let's all swap. Swap shirts. Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, so we're going to cut the conversation here. Make sure to join us in a couple of days for part two of our conversation with Shane Fair. So for now, make sure you go over to Rogue underscore opinion at Wrestling Magic on Twitter. Scott McLeod, 1996, Nathan Greenaway, That Ain't Sport. All of the fun things, Mr. Riot as well. And go check us out over there. We will be right back in a couple of days with more Shane Fair, but enjoy the interview content here on the Rogue Opinions podcast. Good night, everybody. Yo, man. Yo. Open up, man. Yo, what you want, man? My girl just caught me. You made her catch you? I don't know how I let this happen. But who? The girl next door, you know? I don't know what to do. So it wasn't you. Alright. Honey came in and she got me red-handed. Creepy with the girl next door. Picture this, we were both butt naked. Banging on the bathroom door. How could I? Just so your villa, just for sun, a witness, all of your clean, all your pillar. You better watch your mouth.